When I was a kid and ran frantically through our house to my parents' bedroom in the middle of the night, I always thought I was chased by Disney's The Big Bad Wolf. I had seen him on TV and it had scared the living daylights out of me. Then my parents took me to cinema to see Pinocchio, but I had to leave because of me screaming in panic when I saw Monstro the Whale on the silver screen. Later Disney films made me cry my heart out, watching Baloo lying presumably dead in the rain in the Jungle Book, seeing Bambi's mother get shot and the seven dwarfs cry next to Snow White's coffin. Now this may sound like this episode of Yellow Brick Road will be about scary things, again. But don't worry, Halloween is long gone and today we will not talk about monsters or horror films. No, we will talk about animation. The emotional scars that Disney gave me as a kid came from the fact that those animated films were so good, so powerful. They affected me deeply and they still do. They made me cry and scream, yes, but also smile, laugh and feel inspired. They evoked my love for movies and my interest in the fascinating craft behind creating powerful stories. As a kid, I wanted to create films like that when I grew up. And even though I never did become an animator, I did come all the way to this pod studio where I can sit all day long and talk about making movies. All kids love animated films and cartoons, and in some cases that love can lead all the way to a job as an animator, to actually create those amazing stories yourself. So today we're going to talk about how animated films can shape a kid's life. Today, The Yellow Brick Road is all about the love of animation and the power of the cartoon. I'm Nils Lag again, and yes, this is Yellow Brick Road, your friendly oasis in the podcast jungle. And today we're going to talk about how it is to grow up with cartoons. How can animation shape a kid's life, and what films inspire today's guests to become animators? Say hi to senior animator and director Rikard Enqvist, and lead animator and supervisor Christina Sidori. Welcome back to Yellow Brick Road. Hi guys, thank you. Hello. In the intro, I revealed the sad truth that I once dreamt of becoming an animator. But but you two, you made it. You are animators. <laughs> um, both of you work at Goodback Answer Studios here in Stockholm, and you have been working with animation for many, many years now. In today's episode, I would like to focus on more or less one very important question. How did the cartoons you watched as a child affect your career choice? You, Christina, grew up in the States and you, Rickard, grew up here in Sweden, so I assume your cartoon-watching habits may have been slightly different. But let's start with you, Christina. Do you remember your first love in the world of cartoons and animation? Yes, I was very lucky uh, that my mother had great taste in animation and movies in general because she showed me all the cartoons that she grew up with and the films that she grew up with. So it was a great foundation in cinematography and characters and the principles through watching these great shows that I got for free (laughs) by exposure. So so even old cartoons then? Uh, Very old, the ones that she watched when she was younger. I didn't like them all. Hmm. Uh, She was a big Betty Boop fan. (laughs) (laughs) 
And I remember one episode, I think it's called The Old Man on the Mountain. It's set to jazz music. And it terrified me as a kid because the old man on the mountain chases her the entire cartoon. But um, it's also a testament to how powerful sinking music and cartoons is. Indeed. And um, one series that she showed us was Silly Symphonies. One very popular one that everybody probably knows is The Skeleton Dance. Oh, yeah. Um, but I think were... animated by you, but it works. Oh, okay. But there were many, many more, like Tom and Jerry as well, and all the Disney um, regular cartoons that people are more familiar with. But these imagined a lot of situations like what happens at night to all the pieces of China? What do they do? Mm. Or um, the cookie carnival? What happens if a bunch of desserts put on a parade? It's like the original uh, makeover show. So they show this poor gingerbread girl getting her makeover and <laughs> how would they do it? Well, you squeeze fudge out of a Twinkie and, you know, so so it was really great thinking the music world, which my father was music teacher and then my mom drawing and being an artist and uh, together like uh, playing the piano and you get the songbooks to all the Disney movies that came out like The Little Mermaid and The Lion King and You get to just have exposure to symphonies, to great animation, to art. So it was quite wonderful growing up. <laughs> Sounds great. How often did you watch animated films and cartoons as a kid? I watched probably more than today's parents would recommend. <laughs> <laughs> we'll discuss that later. Yeah. Um, but I, I watched a lot of uh, animated films and a lot of just great characters in in general and a lot of um puppetry so i don't uh, along with cartoons there was the muppet show which is quite old and from from my mother's day that she mm. made sure that we were watching and what was great with that the muppet show would do was they would take a great poem like the jabberwocky by lewis carroll and then they'd take all their little muppets and they'd act it out so again you got exposure to poetry Mm-mm. but in a fun way that a kid would enjoy and and you Richard, how's your childhood with animated films you know compared to christina growing up in the states mine was probably cartoon deprived in comparison <laughs> uh, i was born in 1972 so i grew up in the 70s and 80s in sweden and we had two channels both were state run state programming was uh, very ambitious but very pedagogical so all children's programming was about you know learning about other you know kids in other countries there was a fair bit of animation but a lot of it was from eastern europe or indonesia or interesting images but maybe not so uh exciting as you know american cartoons no. so one huge thing was that every Christmas Eve Swedish television would broadcast you know from all of us to all of you the Disney Christmas special they started in 59 and they're still doing it and you know it's a quite it's, bizarre tradition yes tradition. and everybody knows it by heart they have always the same shorts and a few pivotal clips from like Snow White and and uh, Robin Hood and Baloo and Mowgli Baloo will teach Mowgli how to fight as a as a bear 
and then always a little glimpse of whatever Disney is releasing next. From all of us to all of you, it's good to have you with us. Now here we go, and here's our show that says a Merry Christmas. So basically, like, all of Sweden have watched the same cartoons on Christmas Eve for... 50 oh, years, 60 years, yeah. And it's still still one-third of the population sit down to watch Kalle Ankas Julafton, or From All of Us to All of You. Yeah. Which yeah. is so, so that was, you know, a completely different expression. And there were also other shows that they would run during uh, summer holidays or, yeah, other holidays too, when they would incorporate more sort of commercial American cartoons. And they were quite different from the Czech stuff that we had, mm. you know, grown up watching from Swedish children's television. So uh, it was snappy, colorful, and expensive <laughs> probably to produce. And you had Bugs Bunny and Donald Duck and Mickey Mouse and, and Tex Avery. Exactly, Tex Avery, all the Warner Brothers stuff that really pushed animation, you know, in terms of timing and spacing and anticipation and really played even you know compared to the disney stuff like warner brothers were quite extreme but it was just a really wonderful spark to a kid from sweden that we're used to a little bit more melancholy stuff on uh, children's <laughs> tv uh, well you know you, you can rant about it and i, I really enjoyed that stuff yeah. too i think some of the stuff is beautiful but these american cartoons were more violent, they were 100% commercial, they were uh, irreverent in a way, and I think they were probably politically incorrect in Sweden at the time, both in terms of content and because it was, you know, a mm. big multinational company like Disney. So, so, so w were you fascinated by animation already then? Yes, I mean, who wasn't? We probably got to see American cartoons like 20 or 30 times per year. That's just an estimate from the top of my head. But it, <laughs> it was really seldom. It was really seldom. And I, everybody loved it. I had, I had friends who, who they actually had, like the dad would have his own projector and have a 16 millimeter copy of a Bugs Bunny film or something, and we would watch it over and over at a party, you know. Mm. So that was one channel, but it was very uncommon that somebody had like a private collection of, of animation. Did any of you ever think about, maybe I should work with this as a kid? When did that thought come up in your head? I knew I liked art, so I would I would draw the covers of the Disney films, the VHS tapes that we had, and if we had like yeah, plates that we mm. bought that had the imagery on it. And I think I was doing that around 12. And then I would do flip books. But when I realized it could be a career, it was more for 3D because Jurassic Park was out and um, Toy Story and Shrek. So that took over. Mm. Maybe this was 1998 that... Uh, I was 16 picking a lifelong career. <laughs> so we we already knew that like the Simpsons was outsourcing uh, in-betweens mm. and only like mainly keyframes were being done in the US. It seemed like that's what we were hearing. So when I got to university and we were taking our traditional animation class, it was fun and maybe I would have even liked it better than 3D, but in America there wasn't a market. Now, I got good news and I got bad news, fellas. Which one you want to hear first? Bad news? Bad news. Three guys died yesterday working the top of the wall. 
The good news is I got three new job openings, top of the wall. Okay, who wants to work? Who wants to eat? And you, Rickard? Um, well, not as a kid. I, I knew that there were a couple of, of Swedish features made. Mm. By Parolin in the south of Sweden, but it was it just felt far away and stuff. But I I was always interested in drawing and making up stories, and I always had a vivid imagination and a rich sort of inner life. You know, I could sit at the side of my bed, waiting to put on a sock for an hour in the morning. <laughs> you know, so I was never bored. <laughs> a dreamy child. Yes, uh, but. It wasn't until I was a teenager that I probably realized that it was a job. I mean, of course, you knew that people were making these things. But it was in my late teens that I decided to try it. And I managed to um, borrow an 8mm camera from, from a neighbor. And I got the hold of... Uh, there was an old man in Stockholm who was selling animator supplies. So I got a, a hold of a, one of those uh, drawing pads with oxberry pegs. Animators know what it is. It's it's a peg system that makes the so the papers sit very it, snugly on top yeah. of each other so that they the, exactly. the drawings will fit uh, as you flip them. And I actually got a hold of Film Teknana in Stockholm, and they kindly let me come in and, and use their hole puncher. So I went from Uppsala, where I lived, to Stockholm just to punch holes in in a huge stack of paper. I was there for an hour, probably punching holes at Film Teknana. So thank you, Film Teknana. <laughs> <laughs> And then I went home and I was animating. The inspiration came from partly I got a hold of like an art book from Beauty and the Beast. I was looking at like all their inspirational sort of sketches and stuff that they had made the, the artists when they traveled to France to just to get going on their concepts and stuff and you know also character developments and there were chapters dealing with story adaption and all these things. Mm. This one. That one. But you've read it twice! Well, it's my favorite. Far off places, daring sword fights, magic spells, a prince in disguise. If you like it all that much, it's yours. But, sir... I insist! Well, thank you. Thank you very much. Anyways, I created a couple of characters and I drew some animation. Hmm. And I shot it on that Super 8 camera and then I, <laughs> then I sent it to a lab in Switzerland because that was the only place where they would develop this stuff. So I'd asked around and, and you could still buy the Kodachrome Super 8 film but nobody would develop it in Sweden anymore. So you had to send it to, to Switzerland and the guy in the photo store said that if you slip a 10 pound note with the envelope you get it express developed. So I was like, oh, okay. I'm out. So I had to go to the bank to get the... Uh, so this was a huge project. Anyways, about a week later, I got my film back. And I also had managed to buy a, a projector in the Yellow Pages for a few hundred Swedish kroner. And I projected my first animation on my basement wall. And it was actually quite good. I was, I was pleasantly Did surprised. Somewhere, probably... It's sad. I'm rubbish at keeping my stuff, so I, there won't be a. You must it. There, will, it. there will never be a good Rickard Enqvist museum. I'm afraid. <laughs> Should ever, anybody ever want to have one? What was uh, the animation? It was basically walk tests and a very quick, simple acting test. I'm not even sure if you'd call it acting, but it. It worked, and as I remember it, at least, it had, it had pretty good timing and stuff. And there was also some crazy claymation stuff that was just a mess. Mm. It was we just tried to fill it, mm. you know, finish the the film stock. Uh, but then it kind of fizzled because I couldn't see 
like where to go with it, mm. basically. I couldn't see a path from Uppsala, 18-year-old kid or whatever it was, uh, how to get to well, Disney, for instance, or even if there were a couple of companies in Sweden, they were, it was so small, this, mm. the business here. So it kind of fizzled for me. Then I ended up going to art school eventually. And, and then you slipped back into animation. Then I slipped back yeah. in because they offered some courses with a school that, that had just popped up in an animation school. So then I was, was hooked again. But in, in 3D then? No, not 3D. No, I, I got into 3D quite late. Oh. I, I I wasn't too keen on 3D, to be honest. For me, 3D was a very pragmatic decision. So even with fir- the first uh, Toy Story, I was like, hmm, you know, the story is nice, but uh, I wasn't so hot on the on the images. I really wasn't. And then, but I came to the point where I, if I'm going to make a living out of this, I'm going to have to learn 3D. And, the humor uh, in Shrek was what caught me really? because mm-hmm. uh, I loved Mike Myers. Yeah. And uh, I remember my first uh, traditional animation, well, not first, but the major one that I did was a rhino dancing to Sean Paul's Get Busy. Shake that thing, miss. Can I, can I shake that thing, miss? And I better shake that thing, yeah. Donna, Donna, Jordi and Rebecca. All of us have been very much affected by the cartoons and, and animated films we saw as kids. But why is animation such a powerful medium? I I think it lets you imagine or and show others what you imagine. Um, for instance, one of the ones that I watched on, earlier on was um, Tom and Jerry. I don't know if you remember it. It's from 1954. And um, Jerry turns on all the faucets in the kitchen and it fills up the floor. And then, I mean, he probably would get electrocuted if he actually did this. But he takes these wires out of the refrigerator and he sticks them into the water on the floor and it freezes beautifully and then he ice skates and it's just like I can imagine or I can't imagine the animator who sat there and thought of that it's like what if Jerry wants to go ice skating well how can he do that and then you just have this light-hearted fun world that happens and and anything can happen Imagination uh, is such a powerful tool in hmm. animation. Hmm. And also, I, I think the fact that it's an abstraction is very powerful too. Like with Disney, for instance, a lot of times they'll you know, work in a fable format, I suppose. Like a lot of the characters will be animals. It's easy to relate to a dog. It's a very fast connection to characters, I think. What you do is like you simplify and you really underline the important stuff. Which is, it's, it becomes sublime in a way that I think is quite difficult to achieve with live action. Mm. So the clarity is, is super strong. I think it allows for people to empathize easier. You know, if you have a live action character, it might, there might be a bunch of walls uh, mm. for you to really put yourself in that character's shoes. Like maybe it's the wrong age or mm. wrong profession or... Any number of reasons, you know. Maybe you just or it's a criminal, you know, what, whatever. Yeah, mm. uh, it's actually a, a pretty powerful tool to to make. Um, for instance, a documentary about a touchy subject where you can't really show the person that it's about, but if you animate the character, you can actually show something, mm. and you can empathize and it emotes and stuff. So it really 
it can be visually powerful without giving away information that you can't give away. Mm. I'm thinking of the the documentary Yumd or Hidden that was produced in Sweden. It was about a refugee boy who he, he was telling his story how he came from South America, I think, and you know all the hardships he was going through, and he was forced to hide in Sweden, not to be sent back. And he, this way, they could show his story and show him without showing him. So that's that's a neat thing about animation. Just job to prata om det eller är det lika eller är det? Ja, det lite jobbet eftersom man får se till många personer då. Då gör ingenting i alla fall. Vad tycker du jag ska göra? Jag vet inte. How did your taste in animation evolve growing up from from the first cartoons you saw as a kid and then as you grew older did you discover new types of animation or uh probably it became more mature of course and it seemed to lean more towards that i wanted it to be humorous mm. maybe than that i was necessarily looking for a certain style of animation because you came out with who framed roger rabbit and i saw jessica rabbit singing and dancing and Sure enough, when I got into um, Animation Mentor, I used that clip of her singing to do a character walk cycle. And then you you slow it down and you look at her feet and she's practically marching. It's certainly different content. As I got older, there was there were a lot of cartoons going on in the late 80s and early 90s. The Hobbit, Watership Down, American Tale, The Last Unicorn, The Secret of Nim. And then on TV you had Thundercats, He-Man and the Masters of the Universe, and in feature films, Aladdin and The Lion King. And again, here here is the humor. I would actually, or anybody in, in all ages, would want to listen to... Um, It's too late to be seen. Too late. You got to go full tilt, Bozo. Because you're only given a little spark of madness. And if you lose that... Nothing. Robin Williams. <laughs> Robin Williams was really funny, and you and then all his one-liners became these these funny scenarios that he would say, and you couldn't show in live action. It was just perfect for a genie that could whip them up and show you. Oh, let's see, chicken a la king. <laughs> no, yeah, that's king, king crab. Ow. I hate it when they do that. Caesar salad. At ah. Nope. Uh, so then you got like um, the Emperor's New Groove, which I watched every night in college just to fall asleep because it was funny and it cleared your head. And then, of course, you have some shows that were a little edgier, South Park and The Simpsons, Beavis and Butthead, Ren and Stimpy. Ren and Stimpy was something so new to me, and I loved watching the the timing of that because it was so different from Disney, but it was still great. Mm. And then they would do freeze frames where you saw um, detailed drawings that almost looked like concept art that were so disgusting, and it was like, oh, that's cool. Like, oh, so that's animation too? <laughs> animation can be anything. <laughs> I don't think you're happy enough. That's right. I'll teach you to be happy. I'll teach your grandmother to suck eggs. Now, boys and girls, let's try it again. Happy, happy, joy, joy. 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 Happy, happy, joy, joy, joy. And you, Rickard, as a grown-up, your your favorite 
kind of animation style. Yeah, I'm not so sure my tastes have evolved so much. <laughs> <laughs> I still really enjoy Disney and, you know, the sort of, to be mean, but vanilla American family feature. I mean, they, they really know what they're doing. It's beautiful, and they really push your emotional buttons. But it, that, it, that, that's actually the same thing that you said before, that if it would have been a live-action film, you would not have been able to stand it. No, But when it's animated and, and it's all cute... Yeah, and, and, it, it, can, and it, it can be uh, melodramatic in a way that you accept because of the format. You know, I've, I've discovered other things, too, that might be more narrow or something that's happened last couple of decades is that Japanese anime has been become mainstream in Europe anyways. Mm. Uh, like Studio Ghibli stuff is beautiful. It's a kind of a nice contrast to the American f- movies that I've always loved. It feels a little bit less safe yeah. somehow. Uh, But you, more... you look for melancholy in animation and you look <laughs> for <laughs> No, not necessarily, <laughs> but I, you know, I think it's fresh. Maybe it's due to Uh, how expensive it is to create high-end feature film. Financiers probably don't want to risk not having a box office no. smash hit because it's too much money. But what I find fresh about Ghibli stuff is that, you know, it is melancholy, it's philosophical. Sometimes there aren't any, like, clean-cut answers, like what's good or bad or evil or good. Or To me, sometimes the American features can be a little bit anxious. Like, I know when I start to watch a Pixar film that this is going to end well. Kids get it. They, they think about difficult stuff, too. And I don't think you have to serve them a happy ending every time. I, I think you serve them well by showing that you think about difficult stuff as well. <laughs> What you need is for it is to have a companion in in your troubles <laughs> more than a solution. I've actually been now reading books from childhood because I have a child now. Right. And when I'm reading these books to her, like in Pet the Canine, Peter mm. Rabbit, I think the very first page it's like the mom tells her that their father has been made into pudding by the <laughs> Herr Carlson. Yeah. I'm like, what is this? No. And the uh, three little pigs, like you yeah. said. Mm. Okay, so two get eaten and then the, other, the third one shoots. But it's like the old tradition from old classic fairy tales. Yes. Uh, and nursery rhymes. If you look, look at British nursery rhymes, they kill He <laughs> <laughs> killed people off left and right. But, I mean, today kids have almost unlimited access to animated entertainment, wherever they are. How do you think this will affect their future? Well, I think, you know, for one, as, as consumers, I suppose, I would expect for them to become quite savvy. You know, with, with such a treasure trove just if you look at like netflix or mm. platforms like that there's more than they can watch yeah so if they have any sort of standards which they should i suppose you know I'm, I'm, i would expect for them to develop a pretty sophisticated taste whatever that would be and and you know should they want to become animators or storytellers in any way that they have a lot of good stuff to fall back on yeah mm. what, what do you think christina I'm actually pretty surprised that uh, I still see children walking around with book bags of characters that were popular when I was growing up. And then I realized that they weren't popular when I was growing up. They were popular when my mom was growing up. <laughs> <laughs> And like Ricard said earlier, they're still watching um, 
Kelly Ankos, you left, hon. Yeah. And that's great because I feel like there are so many morals hidden in cartoons that they're trying to teach children a lesson in a fun way. Mm. Uh, so when I see Dr. Seuss's Horton Hears a Who and Blue Sky made that in 3D, and there was a cartoon called The Sneetches when I was growing up that taught you about prejudice by using um, some characters with stars on their bellies and the same looking character without stars. And uh, they all removed and put on their stars until they couldn't tell each other apart. And so the moral there was, we're all the same. And that's a hard topic to to teach a child. So when a cartoon can do it in such a, a lighthearted way to make them understand, I don't feel like it's bad to expose children to cartoons in this way. Of course, you have to watch the content. Yeah. Like, what are they watching, actually? But a lot of studios are responsible. Yeah. But some aren't. Yeah. <laughs> I let my daughter watch lots of animated stuff, but, but we don't allow her to watch Barbie, for example. Oh, okay. <laughs> because I think it's shitty. <laughs> Bad moral. You're pretty, you're smart, you're popular, you're talented. I totally wanted to be your friend, but you weren't interested. You never said a word to me, and you certainly never invited me to eat lunch with you invited you to eat lunch with me. Every time I smiled at you, you glared and turned away. You wouldn't say two words to me. Because I was shy. So hopefully lots of the kids that watch all this animated stuff today will grow up to become animators. <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's hope not. And, and, <laughs> we need a lot of <laughs> other professions in the world as well. And for those listeners out there that dream of becoming an animator, what advices do you have for them? To achieve their dreams? I would say um, understand that you have to actually do it. So it's not a, a dream. Pick up a pencil, draw, watch all these films, pause animation, step through it. And then, of course, if you can, go to school and learn about it. And if you hit a plateau, just keep making more art, take another class, ask someone who's a mentor to you, and keep learning. Here we Draw, take pictures, watch movies, read, go to the theater, go watch ballet, take part in life and, and, and consume culture mm. in every every way. Uh, make and sure watch that, lots of cartoons. Of course, mm. but not just that, because you just don't want to recycle and regurgitate what other people have done. I think it's important to, you know, make sure you read the, the classic novels. Watch all sorts of movies from every part of the world, whatever interests you, basically. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's probably never been easier to be an animator than right now. It is a big field. And with computer games, our, our business has expanded a lot. So I mean, it's, it's wonderful. There's so much to do, so many ways to do it, so many techniques and different fields to do it. And I would say, like, in our business, people are awesome. They are generally very friendly. Everybody's a nerd. Uh, <laughs> usually very helpful mm. um, and it really is a real job that's that's something that you don't have to fight to, to defend parents. it to your parents <laughs> uh, probably anymore because I mean you, you can make a good living animating but sometimes you know like anything when you go from something that is a passion to a job and there's there's job stress and, and stuff that I think my piece of advice would try to remember what what you liked about it in the first place because sometimes it isn't fun like it can be too stressful and you might not agree with uh, the direction 
you get or, you know, your instructions or you might not like your shot or whatever, but you just have to kind of stow away your, your initial passion for it in a happy place somewhere and try to tap into it when you need to. But basically just, you know, stay curious and focused and, and go for whatever interests you the most. And 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 <laughs> sorry, I keep but but also you know make sure you have a life. That's another thing. I think Don Bluth said something similar too. Like if if all you care about is animation, then you won't be a very good animator. If you want to tell stories, you have to have something to tell. Mm. You know, so have a life, have kids, have your heart broken, go 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 mourn someone who died. You know, <laughs> just live live a normal life, and you'll have things to tell that people can relate to. Yeah. Before we wrap this up, if you have to pick one scene or one film that you saw as a kid that still affects you in your everyday work, which would that be? I'm not sure if it affects me in my everyday work, but I I, I loved The Jungle Book mm. when I watched it. That was probably my first powerful uh, cinema experience with uh, the boy being raised by a jungle bear. And I, you know, I, I'm a animal lover so I uh, to me that really struck a note when I was a kid and sadly Mowgli completely blows it when he falls in love with the girl in the end and goes back to the village that's a sad ending yes (laughs) I was furious I could not understand what a backstabber he completely messed up there for me we used to be best friends yeah until he turned into a backstabber me a backstabber you got a lot of nerve you knew I was crazy about her But it, you know, it was emotionally powerful. Um, story-wise, maybe not the best film. You know, structurally, it's like one scene after the other, kind of. There's no real arc to it. Mm-hmm. But it does have some stunning animation in there. And and one example is everything with Shere Khan, the, the tiger. Mm. How He's so aloof and completely lethal, too. Yeah. Like, he's very slow, he's but you know that he's completely in control and he could kill... Uh, you and know, the reason voiced that, that by George Saunders. Yeah, and if you, I think it was Milt Kahl who animated some of the stuff, or mm. if not all of it. There's a scene where he lays down in the grass, and I think he's speaking to to Mowgli or Baloo, and he's just he's magnificent. And you, Christina? I probably wouldn't say it affects me now, but I do know my sister and I used to watch The Little Mermaid over and over again, and I would draw the the cover of the um, the VHS. We had the full songbook, so I would play that on the piano, and we would sing it, and we would imagine <laughs> we were this <laughs> Little Mermaid. Um, now, if I go back and watch it again, I'm not sure what the message is saying. Uh, I mean, it, it's clearly bad to give away your voice, right? The sea witch. T- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Now, one of the most important things that recently has uh, affected me, we went to go see um, Jonas Forsman's short film, Robot and the The Robot and the Whale. Mm. And I think that's really important because he made that with several other people, uh, Krista Kossin and uh, David Embaum worked on it a bit and others. Sorry if I'm leaving them out. But they did it in their spare time. They wrote original content and they made something that made it into Saga Land. And that's like what I was saying before. What do I suggest to animators it is do it. 
<laughs> Make it. Do what you love. Yes, animation is a job, and it becomes really hard. So what do we want to do? Well, we all want to make original content, and <laughs> we want it to be fun and lighthearted for children. So I think now, when I watch all these animations from a professional angle, when it's something that I really want to be doing, like the Lego movie, mm. oh, I would. That just looks so fun to animate. Mm. That's more what's affecting me day to day. So, uh, hey guys, I think we're about to crash into the sun. Yeah, but it's gonna look really cool. Lovely. Thanks a lot for coming. And you out there, thanks for listening. Uh, as usual, you can see clips from the films we talked about at our webpage, goodbyekansasstudios.com. In the intro of this episode, I promise you that there will be no monsters and scary stuff in this episode. But next week, there will be plenty of it. It's zombie time again here at Yellowbrick Road as we discuss the epic release trailer for Starbreeze's brand new game, Overkills the Walking Dead. How was that trailer done? Until next time, goodbye. Är bientot. Auf Wiederhören. Vi hörs.